Amen. Thank you so much to our youth team for leading us in praise today. Amen? Amen. Wasn't that such a gift? Amen. I am still um, gathering things that I missed while away, and one that I did not share with you today is that Jose Altamirano's brother passed away, and that was two weeks ago. So we mourn the passing of his brother and also ask for your prayers for the family, um, Jose's entire family, as they mourn this loss. It is so good to be back with you. You are beautiful, in case you forgot. You are so beautiful. It is so good to see you. And I am deeply grateful to the incredible colleagues that allowed space for these last six weeks. In case you are just like, what? Really, you were gone? It's okay, if you didn't know. That's all right, too. Um, But I did six weeks of my sabbatical this summer, and we'll do six weeks next summer. And after 20 years of ministry, to have six weeks of space, um, to be still and know God is God, is a great gift. Um, I said that sabbatical is grace in action for pastors because grace is unmerited, undeserved, like just God's love in being. And that was really, really profound to experience in that time and lots of good family time. So I just wanna show you just just little highlights because some of you have noticed that some of you are like, where's the pictures? There's no, did it really happen? There were no pictures posted. A part of this time was not being on social media, so I didn't post any pictures, and that was really freeing too. Highly recommend it. A little breather space is good. But you're the first ones to see these. We started off with a great trip with some of these colleagues, and it was so amazing to get to spend this time together with some of the folks that are a part of this team here. And then you can just go through them pretty quickly, my friend Jackson, um, because we did a lot of things outside. We got to experience a lot. The kids and I went to Costa Rica to a Spanish immersion program that was really rustic and beautiful. And if you want to practice your Spanish with us, we'll, we would love it. It'll take us a little bit, but we would love it. So we spent some gorgeous time, and it was rainy and good, and so many mosquitoes and so many beautiful people. It was great. So we did a lot outside and were restored by hiking and swimming and biking and just spending so much time together. And like Ava said, lots and lots of snuggles. And I was there for it. We loved it. It was really enjoyable to have that time together. Lots of reading and lots of space. So thank you once again for that. And um, it is a gift to now be back and to dive into the book of Philippians together. Would you pause with me as we pray? Our dear Jesus, we've heard your name all throughout this morning. Worthy is your name. You are more than enough. In all of these songs, what we pray is that we are able to pour out our love over you, thanking you, because it is only because of your love and grace that we are here today, that we are tuning in at home or wherever we are watching from, that we're here in person because of your grace. Thank you. Holy Spirit, would you guide us In this time we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Philippians is one of those books that we quote so often and don't always remember the context of those quotes, but we quote so often. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me is probably the most famous quote in the book of Philippians. It's on your keychains and your journals and your bumper stickers. I can do all things. You might have repeated it through different seasons of your life. There's also other, other scriptures. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians. And then, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is wholesome, think on these things, that's Philippians. What's amazing about this book of Philippians is that in these quotes, in these things that you have perhaps come back to again and again to find encouragement and strength, They are even more powerful when you understand the context. When we pause to remember what was happening in the life of the person who wrote them, it reminds us how powerful the grace of God truly is. Because this is a personal letter. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. This, when the gathered congregation heard it, They would know this is not a historical narrative. They would know this was not philosophical writing. It opened like a letter. It read like a letter. They heard this as coming from the person, Paul, who had led them to Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this letter while he is imprisoned. We would call it house arrest. Today, courts, when they issue house arrest and they they put tracking devices on individuals, but back then they would simply chain you to a Roman guard. Sounds better than the dungeon, and it was. However, it could be a very cruel form of punishment as well. For 24 hours, chained to someone, not something to desire. When you know the context of what Paul is writing from, the words that he says become even more rich. Because what I saw, especially during our time in Costa Rica, which is a gorgeous country with really beautiful people, and we had this wonderful experience. We were staying in this um, very rustic cabin. Um, There were lots of spider friends, and mosquitoes, and other things. And I woke up one morning, second morning, takes a little adjustment even for adults, and the kids were like, what, and, you know, anyway, and I, I was praying and writing out my prayer, and I suddenly realized that life, again, we realize this again and again, that life is not one or the other, and either or an or, right? You get, you get the mud and the poop of a farm along with the beauty and the lush all around you. You, you have the mosquitoes and you also have the really friendly, beautiful experiences. You get all of it. And life is all of it. And so Paul writes from this place of, I'm chained to a Roman guard and my heart is full of joy. What? Embracing both? What? How does that work? Mosquito bites and joy in your heart? Like what in the world? It's all of these things? All of this accepting the suffering and the beauty of life. And Paul writes stuck where he doesn't want to be. Paul writes from obedience to Christ that has led him to being in a place where he cannot control what is going to happen to him. Let's turn to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, verse one. Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion day in Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. This is so powerful how Paul opens up this letter because he says, every time I remember you, every time I remember you, I think with joy. It's a very interesting statement because if you go to the book of Acts and you read about his first visit to Philippi, there were some incredibly bad situations that Paul faced there. He could have said, oh yes, I remember my time with you in Philippi. That demon-possessed slave girl who followed us around and harassed us. I remember how they then arrested us and put us in chains and beat us and tossed us into a dark and dirty dungeon. Oh yes, I remember Philippi. But no, he says, I remember you all with affection. I remember how Lydia and her whole household became Christians. I remember casting a demon out of a slave girl and seeing her set free. I remember the Philippian jailer and all the people in his family, those who are now followers of Jesus who weren't before. When I think of you, I remember and I give thanks. What do we choose to remember? What do we choose to remember? When you reflect on last year and you reflect on past years, five years ago, 10 years ago, going back even further, what is it that gets highlighted in your mind? What is bold in your mind? Paul didn't deny those things that happened. It's not as if that suffering wasn't real in his life or story, but what was over and above all of it was, I thank God for you and what I remember is this. I remember how God worked in you. This part of the sermon falls into the easier said than done category for all of us. But in every situation, in every circumstance, it's not to deny the suffering, but instead to acknowledge it, but then remember or choose to remember those things in which we see God most at work. In verse four, he uses this word joy and also the verbal form rejoice 14 times throughout this letter. This is more than in any of the other letters Paul uses this word joy. That's why this series is focusing on joy in Jesus because he uses this word so frequently. For Paul, joy is not something that comes as a result of comfortable circumstances, of having exactly the job responsibilities you want or perfect children or all the money you need or peace in your relationships. Joy doesn't come 
when everything is all right. Joy comes for Paul in seeing God's work in the advancement of the gospel through all circumstances, all. He doesn't give thanks for them because everything was perfect among the believers in the Philippian church. They were facing some hard times, but even in and through their circumstances, Paul says we can have joy. We can adopt though what David Yarborough calls when and then thinking. When I get the new car, when I get married, when my kids finally get out of high school, when I get this new job, when I get divorced, when I get married, when I pay off bills, when my children are finally in school, when this physical pain is over, then I can be happy. But happiness for Paul is not circumstantial. Joy was something that held him. Joy was relational. I have a deep relationship with Jesus, so regardless of what's happening, Paul said, I have an abiding peace. I have an abiding peace that God's will is moving forward even in my circumstance. The kingdom is advancing, and that gives me joy. I want you to think for a moment of the thing that is most troubling you. If you just had to say one thing in the presence of God that is most troubling you right now, worrying you, making your heart just skip a beat sometimes, could God use that painful circumstance in your life for the advancement of the gospel? Could God even use that? This may seem impossible to you now, but I'm sure Paul would have thought the same thing. That a group of people in Grand Terrace, California, so far from where he was, would be sitting here reading the words that he wrote in another language over 2,000 years later, can you imagine how mind-blowing that would have been for him? What? God can even use this circumstance, chained to a Roman guard, writing all of these epistles to believers, that it would strengthen our hearts today? God says through the book of Philippians, yes, I can use even that. Whatever it is, I can use even that. Paul's first reason for praise and joy over the Philippians was that they entered into partnership. Partnership from the gospel from the first time it was preached until now. Partnership, machidlers, is the word koinonia. The Greek word koinonia, when they started the ministry for the 55 plus, they called it koinonia. This means even more than the just literal translation of fellowship, more than sharing. It's a willingness to give of yourself giving yourself in practical support and assistance, but also sharing of your heart. So Paul says, I've had koinonia with you. This is the church that we always read about during stewardship series because they were so faithful. They weren't necessarily wealthy people, but they were consistent and they responded to the Holy Spirit for the advancement of the gospel. They gave themselves from the first day until now. And I would call that one word, consistency. When I think of this word consistency, I think of a quote by Eugene Peterson, a title of a book, but a quote before that, a long obedience in the same direction. For me, this will always be Pastor Elias's legacy, a long obedience, consistency. That, that story that I quoted there, the lady had said for 10 years after she met him, she didn't come to this church, but every year he called her and talked to her at Christmas time. For 10 years, 
That's amazing. You would walk in, and when I first got here in Tathar, you would help your dad to come up front to kneel up front. As long as he was able to, he would come up front and kneel during the garden of prayer. He would pray over each of us. He would greet with open arms, consistency, faithfulness. In, the, in this part of the letter, Paul is saying, you've been partners, you've shared of your heart and your resources. You've been willing to share of yourself. And so there's this characterization from the first day till now, I could count on you. And when you think back over what happened with this church, they sent gifts, yes, but they sent Epaphroditus as well to come give companionship to Paul. They were consistent in sharing and they were partnering with this man who was bringing the message of Jesus Christ to that then known world. My dad loved basketball, loved it. Are there any basketball fans here today? Anyone? Usually they make a little bit more noise, but it must be early still, it's all right. Consequently, I spent a lot of time on the side of courts, cheering, being bored, a combination of all of it, sometimes going down as soon as they were on one end and shooting baskets as quickly as I could on one side with my brother, and then when they would come back down, then we would have to move. But he was on teams my entire life. This is us in China, because after my dad um, got cancer, we said, let's take the trip, the bucket list trip that you've always dreamed of and visit your friends in China. So we went to China, and this was my whole life, right? We'd be driving along, and he'd be like, is that a basketball court, Tara? No, 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 it's not, Dad. It is. I, I have a little bit of time. And we would pull into a parking lot in some park, and he would go introduce himself, and he would laugh at this later because he said, they always underestimated me, the old guy. But I could show him. <laughs> and I was like, okay. He's like, his three-point shots, all of that. But same here. He walked in, and he's like, can I play in English? There was one guy that spoke English. He introduced himself to everyone, of course, and then he starts huddling with this team, and suddenly they're all playing together like they're this cohesive team. And I, I told Caleb, like, my jaw dropped that apparently it's not even particular to a particular culture or even speaking the same language. Team and warmth and friendship extends when you don't even understand each other. And they were playing together and having such a great time. It was really, really remarkable to see. And as I watched the team sport of basketball my entire life, I couldn't help but think of this as an apt description of what Christianity is. Partnership, fellowship, sharing of yourself. It is not a solo sport. If you're trying to do this alone, it is not the way it was designed to be. Throughout this past two and a half years, what has characterized conversations at the door when people first come back is, I haven't been back for over two years or over three years or over a year, and I didn't know what I was missing. I needed worship together. I needed connection with other believers because we think of it like golf. Like, I'm just gonna make the shot and I'm gonna follow after, sorry golfers, sorry, it's just true. It's much more solo. But basketball or all these other sports where you have to work in team together, it reminds us that we need each other. No, I've got some really awesome golfers in this room who play on teams, so it's just that I haven't seen it as much. But when I played on a softball team, I saw the same exact thing, that we need each other. 
and in the best sense, whatever your sport, when you serve and work together in partnership, you go further than you could alone. That's what Paul was experiencing. I've had this experience with you, he says, and I praise God for what we've been able to do together. This is what I have experienced here in this church. August 1st was six years since we moved into our home here in California. We came with this little two-year-old and now we have a third grader that just started. It's kind of amazing how time goes and time just keeps going. But your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now has blessed my heart. And I am so grateful that we're starting this series on this day because I thank God every time I think of you. Your partnership, your fellowship in sharing of yourself, your heart, and your resources together to see what God does to advance the kingdom of God. This has been such a place of reflection during this sabbatical time, how grateful I am for the journey we've shared together. God takes us there together. Wherever we go, God takes us there together. And unity in the body of Christ is a part of our sanctification. Remember, sanctification is this process the Holy Spirit works to grow us into Christ's likeness. And as we grow with each other, we are able, through this unity, to experience dying to self and being alive to Christ. And that happens as we bump up against and work in partnership with each other. I'm wondering, does anyone have any unfinished projects at your house right now? I promise I had this question before I had any conversations with anyone this week. Do any of you have any unfinished projects at your house or is it just us? Oh great, we're not alone. So you can take courage from this verse of Paul. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice a few things really, really quick. The work, there is work in your life and mine that can only be accomplished by God. No matter how much you put the, the book or the habits or the, any of these other steps, those are important. But there's a work in your life that can only be done by God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. Right? We did this this summer. The work of the Spirit. So as we surrender to the Spirit, God is the one who will finish the work in us. God's responsibility is the work from nine years old to 90 years old to 100 years old. It's the same God who started it who will finish it. That also means that we're in the process of transformation, that we're not the same people that we were last week or last year. Those who will be saved in the future live holy lives in the present, but the holiness that characterized their lives is God's work from beginning to end. That's our lives as believers. You can trust the process of the good work of God, that God is doing something in you. There's also another reason that, that Paul gives thanks. He gives thanks because of his deep felt affection for the Philippians. They've been with him through thick and thin, and he feels this love because of what they've been through. They were with him when he was publicly teaching in an open forum, powerful and respected, and they're with him for when he's imprisoned for that same gospel. He says, through all of this, you've been there. Through all of this, when you've been here, you've walked with us. Through some of us, we've walked through some hard times together, and God bonds us closely as we walk through those times together. 
in this season of COVID, doing outdoor church together and finding new ways to connect, we have been bonded closely together. And then Paul ends with an intercessory prayer for believers and he sums up all of it saying, I pray that your love would increase, that you have knowledge and depth of insight, that you would be able to recognize what is best. In other words, Paul wants them to have knowledge and depth of insight to be able to discern what is best. There's lots of different options. Discerning the will of God is not always clear, but when we have the love that comes from God, we are able to make those choices for what's best because God leads us and guides us. During this time of sabbatical, one of the days I remember Jesus was just leading me to reflect on the cross throughout the day, and it seemed like the cross was showing up everywhere, in my scripture reading, in quotes that I was reading, in the hillside as we were driving by, and then at the very, very end of the day, we were in the car, oh, and in Little Pilgrim's Progress that we were reading with the kids, it was just all over. And then we were driving in the car, and the song came on, and Ava was listening to it with us, of course, and she said, Mom, don't you just close your eyes and feel tears come to your eyes when you hear this song? And it was the old rugged cross. She, and she leaned back in her seat and she just said, it's so beautiful. Jesus is so beautiful. And I turned as tears were filling my own eyes and I said, yes, it is so beautiful. Because the cross for believers is not only the symbol of suffering, but it's a symbol of love. And so when Paul says, I find joy in Jesus, it's that place of love and suffering meeting. It's that place where it connects and where Jesus sustains him. And so this message that Paul shares that we're going to be going into throughout this fall, it's this place where Paul found joy no matter what because it's love and suffering meeting together. So today, I pray that you will remember, that you will think over what you remember about your life, that you will trust the process of God's good work in you, and that we too will pray for love to increase in our lives. What will you remember of your life? How will you trust what God is doing in your life right now? And how can we pray for the love of God to abound and increase among us?